This morning we will be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Before we read our passage, I want to say a little bit about someone named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. not sure if you're familiar with that name, but he was a fairly well-known pastor in London in the early 1900s. He was born in 1899 in Wales, and he was initially a medical doctor before going into the ministry, hence the Dr. Lloyd-Jones. But he's uh, someone to be familiar with for church history, especially more recent church history. He was a faithful expositor of the word and a preacher and preached doctrinally there in London faithfully for for over 30 years of his ministry. And he's famous for a few things. One was his preaching, but uh, when he preached through the book of Ephesians, he preached 232 sermons on the book of Ephesians. So I don't think I will get to that many on this book. I'm not projected to preach that many. But needless to say, he knew the book pretty well. And when he came to the passage where we are at this morning, uh, surprisingly, he only preached one sermon on it, but he said that these two verses, these verses really are some of the most important in the Bible because they very much summarize what the gospel is. They get at the, the heart of the gospel of how we are saved and why we are saved. And so really understanding these verses helps us to encapsulate and understand what's at the core of Christianity in a very uh, simple and yet profound way. So if you have a Bible, uh, let's read together our passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. And so you may remember that the end of Ephesians 1 talks about the church, of how the church is the body of Christ, and how then chapter 2 really starts by describing how it is that the church comes into existence, that people are lost and the Lord makes them alive. This is why the church exists. It's like the testimony of the church. And we see the testimony in the first seven verses, and really in these two verses we get the, the summary statement, the, you might say the doctrinal or the theological statement of what happens in people when the Lord saves them, when people are converted. And so this really gives us, like I said, concisely the the how and the why of salvation. How are we saved? Why are we saved? We see those things in these verses. And these verses are really, I mean, they're really straightforward. They're, They're very simple to understand. It's not hard to understand the words, the grammar on the page. But whenever we come to these simple statements, we have to to make sure we don't just read them and say, okay, I understand that, and then we move on. 
but we really sit and think about and meditate on the significance of these verses. And so as we, as we think about these verses, we really think about this topic of salvation. That's what they're talking about. By grace you are saved. And we remember that being saved means something, right? We, we use that phrase a lot, especially in Baptist churches. We talk about being saved or, or being born again. But we remember really what saved means in this book. We're saved from something. We're saved from sin. To be saved means that we no longer are under the condemnation, the punishment of sin in our lives. And so, for example, verse 1 in chapter 2, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Then we read in chapter 2, verse 5, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the punishment for sin is death. We deserve that punishment, but God has saved us from sin. And that is what we need. That's our greatest need. That's what really everyone on earth needs is deliverance, salvation from sin. And sometimes you'll hear these amazing testimonies of how the Lord does that in people's lives, right? You'll hear about people who were uh, gang members and the Lord delivers them out of that. You'll hear about people in prison and how they come to know the Lord. But the Bible reminds us that really every one of us has that same testimony that we were dead in sin. That even though it may not externally look like we were as bad as everyone else, really this is who we are in our sin. We don't deserve this. God does this in our life. He saves us from the wrath of God, from the punishment. That's the grace of God. That's salvation. So we're saved. We're saved from something. And really that reminds us of the importance of why we need to remember what sin is, right? We, uh, even this month, we're reminded that the, the culture around us likes to redefine what sin is. But we have to stick to what the Bible says, what God says is right and wrong. Because if we lose what is actually sin, then we lose the message of salvation. If, if people aren't doing anything wrong, they don't need to be saved from something. And so we always, as Christians, have to remember, not just that God saves, but he saves us from sin. He saves us from the punishment we deserve. And so we have to call what is wrong, wrong. We have to call what is right, right. We have to, we have to do that because otherwise we lose this message of salvation. And this is the message that we, we need and we proclaim as Christians that God saves us. Uh, this is the message that God proclaims to us, right? This is the good news. Though we are sinners, God will give us deliverance from sin. He can save us, and these verses remind us we, we need to be saved. And so we, we can be saved because, as these verses say, by grace you have been saved through faith. And we notice that, that this salvation is past tense, right? Paul's talking to, to people who are already Christians, this isn't just people who need to know the Lord. This is people who know the Lord. It's not just that 
we're saved and now we move on to something else. God wants us to remember how and why we are saved so that we give him the praise that he deserves. We're, we're saved not because of anything we do, but because God saves us. It's because of him. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. One of the things in this verse, uh, I said it was very straightforward. Maybe the only thing that's kind of difficult grammatically in this verse is when it says there in verse 8, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. What is the this? What is that word referring to? Is this referring to grace? Is it referring to faith? Is it referring to salvation? What exactly is that word referring to? What's the antecedent of it? Because that makes a difference, really. It, it makes a difference because it's referring to what God is doing. So is there some of it that God's doing, but the other part we're doing? Is all of it something that God's doing? It's like, uh, it's like in English, how pronouns have to, have to match the noun in number and gender, right? And so, like, if you say, Adam is running because the dog is chasing him, Right? Well, we know him refers to Adam because it's singular and it's masculine. Right? Whereas if you say Adam is running because the dog is chasing her, well, that's a completely different sentence. Right? Uh, it means something else. Well, it's the same thing here. We see that this pronoun, this, is referring to something. And I'll give you the short answer. This is referring back to all of it. It's not just referring to grace. It's not just referring to faith. It's not just referring to salvation. When it says, this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, it's telling us that all of this process, salvation by grace through faith, all of that is the gift of God. Not just one aspect, but all of it. That's how the, that's how the pronoun uh, works in Greek. And so, when we, when we think about that, when we just meditate on it a little bit, it, re, it reminds us of something important, that really there's, there's nothing we do to take credit for salvation. That it's not just part of it is God's doing, but that all of it, all of it is the gift of God. This is not your own doing. Uh, one pastor described this verse and talked about how we're saved and how really grace is... God being good to those who are unable and unworthy. And I think that's a great description. Grace is God uh, being good to those who are unable and unworthy. And that's really what we see in these verses, that we're unworthy to be saved, right? God's, there's a, there's a line drawn in the sand, and we've put ourselves on the side that God is not on. And we can't just cross back over whenever we want it, over no man's land to get back to God. We are enemies of God. Something has to happen in order for us to, to be saved, to go from enemies to in a relationship with God. We're, we're unworthy to be saved because we've rebelled. But we're not just unworthy. We're, we're unable to be saved. We can't save ourselves, right? You can't just look at yourself as a sinner and decide, hey, I'm able to make myself look good to God. I can do this and this and this, and God will think better of me. No, that's not how that works. It's, it's an impossibility, right? We, we remember that 
without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so even people in the world who are doing good things, that we would say this is a good thing, if it's not from faith, it's still not pleasing to God. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn better standing with God because we can't do anything to make him think better of us. We're unable to save ourselves. I mean, just the fact that it says we are dead, right? We're dead in our trespasses there in verse 1. It's like uh, when you drive down to Holly Beach or you go down to Cameron and you see the gator on the side of the road that got hit, right? Some of them are just laying there out in the sun, but you know which ones are the roadkill, right? Which ones have got hit? Well, it's dead. It can't do anything. You could pull over. You could take a picture with it. You could sit on it. You could touch its mouth or poke it with a stick, right? You shouldn't do any of those things, probably. It's, it's not a good thing to do. But you, you understand what I'm saying, right? If it's dead, it's not going to do anything. It's incapable, right? Well, that's how we are in our sin. We're incapable of doing anything. We're incapable of saving ourselves. But God does all of it. We're incapable. We can't do anything, but God saves us. And so he gets the credit for it. He gets all the credit for salvation because we can't do it. We're unable to do it. But he does what is necessary. It's a gift from him. And so he gets all the praise. And so think about what that means for this verse because this verse talks about Faith. Think about what that means for faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. We have to have faith in order to be saved. We won't be saved unless we respond to the gospel, unless we believe, right? Acts 16, 35. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But that creates a dilemma because we're dead. How can a dead person believe? Spiritually, how can we muster up belief. I mean, even just in normal life, right? We don't just decide, hey, I'm going to think this way now. I'm going to believe this, right? We, we don't just make ourselves believe something. It's like in John chapter 5, when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda. This is really what salvation is like. You remember this passage. There was a crippled man at the pool of Bethesda, and he was sitting there, and the belief was whenever the waters of the pool would ripple, that the first person into the pool would get healed of their malformity or whatever was going on with them, their sickness, right? So in John chapter 5, right, there's this crippled man by the pool, but he can't get in the pool because he can't move. He can't get there fast enough. If the, the water ripples, then someone else is going to beat him there. He's never going to be able to be healed, to be delivered from this sickness, right? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the pool and he doesn't tell this man, you just need to work harder, right? If you just try a little harder, you'll be able to make it first and get there and be better now, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't even pick him up and carry him into the pool of Bethesda, right? But what does he do? He speaks the word and he heals him and then the man gets up and walks away, Right? That's the power of God. That's really an example of how salvation works. We are incapable of saving ourselves from our sin. But God speaks new life into us so that we raise up to new life and walk in newness of life. This is something that God does in us. 
So even when it comes to faith, God gives faith to us so that through faith we would be made alive and saved from sin. All of it, by grace, you are saved through faith. All of it is a gift. You don't believe in God because you figure things out more than the next person, right? You come to this realization and you're smarter and so uh, you understand it's better to believe in God. And, but it's not, it's not something that you figure out. It's not because you're smarter or more able or you're able to muster up more faith than the next person. This verse is telling us that even our faith is a gift of God. And really, that makes us incredibly humble. That makes us incredibly humble because it reminds us there are so many reasons why we should not be saved right now. Like it reminds us how close we really were and would have been to the gates of hell if the Lord had not done something as we were incapable, unworthy of being saved, of saving ourselves. It really was an impossibility on our side. But God worked in our lives. He changed us. He made us alive, and he saved us. It should make us, really, it should make us pray a lot more as well. If, if all these things are a gift of God, it reminds us that at the end of the day, God saves people, right? We're told to proclaim the gospel, and the gospel is the power of God to save souls. And so as we Proclaim. We want to be clear and accurate in how we talk about the gospel, right? But that's not a guarantee. Oh, if I had just said the right word, this person would have believed. Uh, if I just explained it better or been more persuasive, this person would have believed. You can say all the right things, and people will still not believe because they're dead in their sin. But when God changes someone's heart, then that person will respond. They will be saved because God is at work in their life. God has to be at work in order for someone to be saved. That's what we need. And so we pray to the God of salvation, the God who is mighty to save, and we ask him to save people, to save our family, our friends, our neighbors, so that they would not experience the wrath of God. We pray that God would do this because he's the only one who can. And so when we pray, we remember to not just pray for physical needs, but we pray for the souls of the people around us, that God would save them. And then we go and we tell people the gospel. That's what it means to pray in faith. We believe that God can save people, we believe that he hears our prayers. We believe that he saves people through the gospel. And so we anticipate God's going to do something. When we go and proclaim the gospel, we think, is it going to be this time? Is God going to do something this time as people hear the truth? Is he going to bring them to life this time? We're called to plant that seed, to water the seed. And we pray to the God who gives salvation. Faith is a gift of God. So for us, when we go through difficult times, that means that when we get to the point where we need more faith, right? We don't just look at ourselves or we don't say to other people, oh, if you just had enough faith, right? You shouldn't say that. 
That's usually not, well, it's usually not great for a couple of reasons, but, right, we don't say, you just need to muster up more faith in yourself, right? When we need more faith, what do we do? We're like that, that man who cried out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I know I need to believe more. Help me to believe more. We need the Lord to work on our hearts to, to give us more and more faith. And then what do we do? We, we dig into the word of God because we remember what God says, right? In Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we pray, we trust that the Lord gives faith, and then we, in faith, we read the word and we look to him, right? There's, there's no part of salvation that we can take credit for. We can't do enough good works in order to earn it. We don't even create faith in ourselves to take credit for it. All of this is by God's design, that God saves us by his grace through faith, it's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. And it's by his design because that really gets to the why of our salvation, right? We've talked about how we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith. But why are we saved in this way? Why does God do it this way? Well, it tells us that it's so that no one may boast. We see that here in verse Nine. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. There is no room for boasting in salvation. Why are we saved? Not because of anything I've done. I can't take credit for any of it. It's all the gift of God. And we can look back, really, this has been building throughout the book of Ephesians. If you look back to chapter 1, that's been the plan of God since before the foundation of the world. We read in verse 6, that all of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. We see that same phrase again in verse 12 and verse 14, to the praise of his glory, that everything that is happening in the world is so that God would receive praise and glory. And then we also see how really God is exalting Jesus, how Jesus is the one who's going to be the center of this plan. We see that in chapter 1, verse 10 and verse 23, that God is doing all these things, so you'll say, look at God, look at what he did, right? Look at the goodness of Jesus in my life, and none of it's going to be about me. We're not going to say, look at me, look at what I did. It's all going to be about God and what he has done. We don't contribute to our salvation, because that would steal some of the glory from God. Let's say that God did 90% of the work, and you did 10. Well, God would get 90% of the credit, and you would get 10% of the credit, right? But God's not going to share his glory. He does it all. He's not going to share his glory. He gets all the glory because he does everything. He gets all the credit. This is why if we were saved like Catholicism claims, right, where we have to cooperate with God's grace, and it does depend on us to a certain extent, then there would be room to take credit for us to boast about what we've done. In fact, in Catholicism, you can see this. Why is it that the saints are exonerated? It's because they've done something, 
right? They are worthy to be honored because they've actually achieved something and earned favor in the eyes of God that you haven't as the normal person, right? So we see this play out even in Catholicism that anytime there's room for boasting, people will be exalted and God will not be exalted as he deserves. But that's not what this verse says, right? It says that there is no room for boasting in salvation, that God gets all the praise. I mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones earlier. He made a statement in his sermon about this phrase about boasting, and he said, if we have any reason to boast, if we have any reason to be proud of ourselves in salvation, then we're probably not Christians. And I think he's, I think he's probably right, because why is that? If, if we think we've accomplished something in our salvation, we're at the very least misguided, because if we think we can take credit for something, then we're not fully relying on Jesus. We're not fully trusting him to save us. But this is not how salvation works. When we stand before God and we uh, are before him in heaven, there's not going to be anything we point to in ourselves as to why we should be there. We can't point to any good works we've done. We can't point to the faith we have. We are unworthy and unable. But we point to Jesus and we point to God and we point to the grace that he has and how he saves us, how he has given us salvation by his grace through faith. That's why we are saved. And this is, I mean, it's really the glorious truth of these passages, of these verses, that God is responsible for all of salvation. And God gets all the glory. And so as we, as we draw to a close this morning uh, and we think about how to respond, how to respond to the the truth of these passages, I want to get to some of the nuts and bolts on this topic because what does it mean for you, or if you're talking about salvation with something, with, with someone, what does it mean for you that you need to be saved? You believe what you hear, you realize that you're a sinner and God saves sinners and you need him to save you well, what should you do? You hear that he saves people. Does that mean that you should just wait and not do anything and God's going to turn your life around and change you and that's how you'll be converted? That's how the gospel message works? If God does everything in salvation, is that how it works? Well, the answer is no. That's not how it works. Because if you believe you're a sinner if you believe that God can save you, then you need to ask him to save you, right? We read elsewhere that today is the day of salvation. We shouldn't delay. We should come to the Lord to save us because asking God to save us is not us doing something. It's not us achieving salvation. What is that? That's actually an act of faith. And what did we just read about faith in this verse? It says that faith is a gift from God. So that means if you have realized this, and you realize you need to come to the Lord and ask him to save you, 
That means that God is working in you right now to be saved. That's God's grace at work in you. That's what faith is. And so you shouldn't delay. You should commit. You should commit your life to follow him and ask him to save you. That's what the grace of God does in our life to accomplish salvation. God saves us by grace through faith. And it's the, the merciful, gracious glory of God that does this. And so as we think about this verse, we remember these glorious truths. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast.